You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is Served. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Justice is Served, where we bring you in-depth and personal analysis of legal stories in the news. Today we've got a full house here joining me. I'm your host, Chelsea Galicia, a freelance workers' compensation attorney here in L.A., went to undergrad at UC Irvine, Goat Eaters, and uh, law school at Southwestern. I am joined by a fellow Southwestern grad, B.J. Abron, who's straight out of Compton and straight out of law school. Uh, He has uh, experience in business development, um, sorry, business and legal affairs at BET and the Public Defender's Office. And we have our special guest host, Nisha Vida. Thank you so much for being here. She comes to us all the way from South Africa, or at least that's where she was born before she moved uh, here to L.A. at the age of eight, right? And I thought it was so funny that your family was trying to escape apartheid only to arrive here to a recently destroyed city of Los Angeles after the Rodney King riots. Uh, but you have uh, graduated from USC undergrad, where you were in international uh, relations major, and then she's now a third-year law student at UCLA, and she's getting uh, her uh, dual degree, a master's in public policy. I think we will see, uh, we will be voting for her for public office someday <laughs> soon. And, and of course, Shaka Smith, uh, who was born in Miami, went to uh, undergrad at Princeton, law school in D.C. before moving out to L.A. to pursue acting and fitness modeling. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. All right. <laughs> um, can everybody hear? Because I am not hearing very well. Yeah, Everybody's yeah, can hear good, right? yeah, Okay. Well, maybe it's just me. I'll speak louder to hear myself. <laughs> Hopefully that won't be necessary. Okay, so let's jump into the the, the first story here. Uh, a second-degree murder charge and attempted second-degree murder charge for two officers who shot into a car and killed a six-year-old child. Uh, this happened in Louisiana. Uh, apparently, marshals, these were two marshals, and they uh, claimed that they were uh, trying to serve a, a warrant or a arrest mm-hmm. um, to uh, following a warrant that actually we found does not exist. Right. And this six-year-old child ended up with five bullets in his chest and his head. There's a body cam that has allowed at least the police department to see that video. It has not been released to the public. Uh, Nisha, my first question about this is these officers have been charged with second-degree murder, uh, second-degree attempted murder because they shot at the father, too. The father, though, survived uh, after Please. being... He's in critical condition, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. And so but the, this question first is why second-degree murder? Sure. So second-degree, the difference between second-degree and first-degree is that first-degree suggests some kind of premeditation, that 
the person sat and, and thought about, do I want to take this action? Um, what's interesting is that the standard kind of differs depending on what state you're in. So I believe in California, actually, it's a really low standard. So if you take even a second to think about it, you could be charged with first degree. Uh, so presumably they charge second degree because I'm not sure if they were trying to give the police officers a little bit, you know, they, they were bringing charges against them um, to, to get to accountability. But I wonder if they could have charged first degree because, you know, they, they chased this car. They, they, were, they were in a police chase. They shot multiple times. I imagine that somewhere along this route, you know, they made up the warrant. I right. imagine at somewhere along the path, they thought, oh, do I want to do I want to do this? But I mean, I still think that it's good that there's some accountability for this action right. that's happening. Yeah. Well, the thing that um, makes sense is they probably didn't know the six year old was in the car. So that's why it's probably not first degree if they didn't know he was in the car at all. Uh, okay. Well, the thing, the thing about that is, even with first degree murder, and correct me if I'm wrong, transfer the doctrine of transfer intent still plays a role. And so, even though they may not have known that, they, I mean, they followed the guy. What, yeah. What's more premeditated than following someone, ambushing him when they're stopped, and then you kill him? That's first degree murder for me. Now, I completely agree that maybe in this particular circumstance, uh, well, first of all, we're not. Uh, we're not accustomed to seeing police officers charged with second degree murder, so maybe to even take it automatically to first degree yeah. might be, a, you know, I completely agree with you for that perspective. Maybe this was just let's get something here. Yes. Um, so do they have any good defenses, though? Uh, I mean, personally, again, as you can hear with my sentiments, I would like to see a first degree murder <laughs> charge here. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a future defense attorney, um, I would probably, I mean, of course, we don't know a lot of the facts here, right? So a lot of the facts are real gloomy. They haven't released a video footage. We've heard that there were was a arrest warrant that they were issuing, and then they retracted from that. We heard that uh, they were the, 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 the guy was attempting to run his vehicle into police officers. We kind of heard a retraction from that. So the the facts are not complete enough to uh, essentially give a, a, a defense. Uh, if some of those facts were true, of course, self-defense will be a complete defense in the matter. Um, or if not, at the very least, a mitigating circumstance to another charge. Yeah, 18 so, shots. So it was 18 shots, was I believe. And shots. that doesn't sound like self-defense. Though, who knows? But right. it right. sounds a little bit right. more excessive than... Right. So, now, Chaka, what do you... Th- oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, mean, I believe, if I'm not wrong, I believe he had a prior record, too. Yeah. Some kind of prior record. So yes. it, it, with the knowledge of that, these things could all come together to create some type of uh, defense, yeah. depending on the circumstances. In fact, I understand that both officers involved had prior incidents. Um, Both had uh, pending uh, civil issues for excessive force separately. So, uh, Shaka, any idea... What you what will happen? You think we'll get a conviction? Yeah, I think we'll definitely see a conviction, and primarily for the reason that the colonel has seen the body cam um, footage, right. and he said it was you know horrific. Um, so if their own colonel, and you know, police tend to really close ranks, but if he saw the footage and um, deemed it horrific, then I think it's probably yeah. In the uh, press, um, he was speaking to the press, and he was asked, you know, what was the role of the body cam in you know, pursuing these charges, and the officer acknowledged, the poli- chief of police said, I've seen it, and he said a couple of times comments that made it sound like he was very emotionally disturbed by what he had seen, like the worst thing <clears throat> that he had ever seen. Uh, so I don't think that the body cam played a small role at all. I think the body cameras are really important, and I think that this might be one of the cases that show us why they were so necessary. Yeah, sure. yeah. So I... Uh, I, I oh. 
I mean, just to touch bases on that, I completely think, and obviously, I mean, as you just stated, in this particular circumstance, it seems like the body cam did play a huge role, and it definitely needs to be there. For me, I question as to whether the body cam should be visible to everyone and not just the police officers, because these body cams were implemented at a point in time when no one necessarily trusts what the police are doing because they're killing people and they're hiding information. So... Of course, in this in this situation, I'm thankful that we do have some honesty and that we do have some truthfulness uh, from the lieutenant who made the statement saying that the you know the video was just horrific. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, if there was no video, we would have this father and against the word of the the two officers. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, but my thing is with even with the video in a situation where if, if if the officers saw the video and they wanted to hide it or they wanted to disguise it, we we need to see that video at the public. Yeah, or I think we just need to know that we have protocols in place that there are people that it's disseminated widely, at least amongst administrators, so that it can't just be erased or it's lost or missing, yeah. which we've seen in some cases before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the one of the bigger issues with the body cams is their release or non-releasing to the public. And I tend to agree with, with BJ that they, they should be released, uh, although I can understand in certain circumstances, this maybe not. This is a slippery one. Something that's also come up with body cams is whether or not the video footage can be used as evidence within a trial. Because I think that there's been um, some states where they're trying to block that. So the the, evid- the video, you can you know, there's the body cams, you have the footage, but that footage then can't be used as evidence in a trial. I, I can't see why that that, that yeah. would be. It's not biased. It's not prejudicial. I mean, well, I, it definitely well, can be prejudicial. It can be prejudicial. There may be some because it's only one viewpoint, and, and that viewpoint holds so much but weight. But anytime That's what you I have like an eyewitness, you're only getting that eyewitness's viewpoint. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think the more the issue probably comes into play with editing, and you know, so what protocols do they have in place to ensure that this is the film that was shot and it's the full and complete? So that's the same uh, basis of uh, entering any evidence. Yeah. You know, the same way that anything is entered, you've got to check yeah. authentication, and an expert says that this is yeah. not touched. This was the original whatever so i definitely think that we should be careful of not allowing videos that have been manipulated anyway into evidence but whether but we should get in. it's just like any other form of tangible evidence yeah, yeah i think it would be good to to know what standard protocol is across all police departments across the country yeah know? i think yeah. it'll be probably a number of years before we get a a federal policy or just yeah. enough states doing the same thing where that we get a norm? Because right now it's like every police department for itself. Exactly. But I guess we call that progress. Yeah, Slow but painful. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Turning our attention now to the students protesting racism on college campuses uh, around the United States. We have uh, Yale and University of Missouri are some of the larger ones getting attention, but we've also have things going on at UCLA, University of uh, Michigan. Uh, I also saw Arizona State, University of Oklahoma. So uh, what what is going on now that we're seeing all of this movement? Well, I mean, what's going on is, is are, are things that have um, always been going on. Mm-hmm. You have statements that are being made, um, uh, I mean, racial slurs. In, in fact, a number of the both of these incidents have uh, have developed because of a racial slur or because of some type of discrimination have taken place. Now, the reason we're here is because these students are fed up. Society is fed up, and we want to see something done, and we want to see the administrators uh, create some type of action and take some type of action. Did any of you experience anything like these students are protesting when you were either at undergrad or law school? 
Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I can't speak for anyone else, but uh, just throughout my life, I've experienced uh, various different um, racial slurs, various different forms of discrimination um, in the workplace, um, at school uh, in particular, uh, even at law school. And somewhere in law school, you would think that you have intellectuals or, or people who think different or outside the norm, right? At the very least, are politically correct, right? Yeah. No. It's the opposite. And so you still get these statements in class. You still get these statements outside of class uh, where there'll be some sly comments. And, and basically there's ha- there's racial undertones in those statements. And some people notice them. Others just go about their day. But they stick with you. Yeah, but I would say for me, I didn't see it from the administration. Whereas I'm seeing some almost defense of these statements and um, these characterizations about the administration. So I think that's what was a little bit jarring to me. Um, especially the in the Yale incident where you have um, the administration initially sending out something that says, let's be mindful of kind of cultural stereotypes, right. which I thought was a great email that they yeah. sent out regarding Halloween costumes. And then you had the residential advisor saying something different, saying kids should be allowed to have a period in their life where they're offensive. And I, I get the... I get the tension, you know. Are we being too sensitive? Um, especially these kids are a lot younger, you know. They're, they haven't lived through civil rights. They, they probably only heard a few stories about this, you know. Will blackface be the same 50 years from now as it is today? But what I do take issue with is the administration making a conscious effort to be inclusive and the residential advisor causing tension by being almost trying to roll that back. Right, and then it turned this into a free speech issue, and Mm -hmm. people love that as their go-to defense. And Yale was not trying to say, don't enjoy your free speech, but they were trying to guide people to being mindful and being conscious of the effect of their actions have and, and words and ways of expression have on other people. I think that we're so almost childlike with our clinging to First Amendment, free speech. Yes, I know you have the free speech right. I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I value it. But is it wrong for somebody to then try and guide us to use that to the benefit of people? I mean, people are are at institutions of higher learning so that they can better themselves and make a positive difference in the world. How many college essays, law school essays were written about, I want to make the world a better place? And yet... You can't speak kindly or can't be conscious of what you're doing and making sure that you're not hurting people. The very least thing that you can do is try not to insult people or offend people. I I don't think it's a a free speech issue. I I think we're we're being uh, silly almost about it and juvenile about it. You you know, I mean, I think we are being juvenile, Well, some of us at least. Um, But I do think it's a free free speech issue. Uh, and the reason why I state that is because the the First Amendment allows for that protection. People aren't grappling to something that they're making up. It's actually there, and they can utilize that. I don't agree with that completely. Well, agree the with students you. protesting have the, the free speech right just as much as anybody wearing a silly costume does. Yes. And the university did not say, we're going to expel, suspend, or throw anybody out. It was out. a mindful instruction. Yeah, so right. it's not like they were trying to crush their rights. They uh. were just being like a mother who says, if you don't have something kind to say, don't say it all. What are you going to say to your mom? Screw you, mom. I have Free a First speech. Amendment <laughs> right, you know. Well, in, in, our, in our actuality, yes. 
You can, and it sounds it sounds absurd. You but. can, well, but is that here's, really? Here's the thing, right? I I have the free speech right to sit here and not say regular sentences, but just say profanity to pick racial slurs for everybody at this table and use them instead of your first name. I have the speech free speech right to go to my job and tell my employer that I think he's a jerk. You know, and say whatever else. And if I got fired, would people say, oh, right. would my defense be, oh, I right. was exercising my free speech rights? Mm-hmm. And I think I think with this Halloween costume, so I was an undergrad a long time ago. When I was there, a frat threw an illegal alien party, right? So they they blocked off this, their frat by building this fake wall. They, they put a fence around their frat, and you got into the party by crawling under the fence. Wow. You know, so I, I think what gets lost in these conversations is the context for why these types of costumes are offensive. Jim Crow, right? Jim Crow legislation, mm-hmm. America's segregationist legislation, was written after a minstrel show, right? It was written after mm-hmm. a show where white people put on blackface right. and pranced around making fun of black people to bring them down and contribute to the oppression of the community. So when people show up at a Kanye Western with their faces painted black and fake padded butts and things like that, yes, you have the free speech right to do that, but at least you should understand that it is offensive and why it's offensive. And then if you choose to go ahead and do that, that's fine. But at least your intent will be clear. And if people are upset with you, well, they have the free speech right to be upset with you, too. And I think we have to note that this is not an academic setting. This is Most kids at Yale live on campus. So this was about their home. And so it was about how to make this inclusive for everyone so that everyone can enjoy their home and feel comfortable being here at this campus. And so I think... It wasn't going, you have the free speech in academic settings, say what you will, and say in an academic tone. This was about, let's just make everyone have a good home life. Yeah, but but see, my thing is, I'm, I like to address the issue. I like to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about solving the problem, the fact that they still can cling to the free speech is there. It, it's there. And, and I'm not mm-hmm. protecting them. Don't get me wrong. I completely, these are absurd comments. These are absurd ways of dressing and expressing yourselves on Halloween. What I'm saying is maybe we shouldn't be so afraid of altering the First Amendment. We get so scared of talking about the Constitution. We get so scared of altering the Constitution. But I'm a firm believer that the Constitution is a living and breathing body of work, and it should be altered according to time. And so my thing is maybe we should make alterations to the First Amendment so that you can't cling Onto the First Amendment as a defense. That's true. There are limits to it. You yeah. you can't like yell fire in a crowded theater. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel too that culture just needs to change because it's it's right now our culture that we live in allows for people to dress as a sexy Native American princess without thinking about the fact that you're putting on some stupid outfit that's you know desecrating a sacred a sacred costume you know where beaded patterns you know communities spend hours putting these beads together and each of the different symbols have these religious meanings so people don't if people we have a culture that permits this type of desecration of other cultures right. and this mockery of other cultures and then permits people to hide behind the first amendment right. so I don't know. I mean, I feel like changing the law to the to a certain degree is useful, but at the same time, we need to think about the cultural setting that we live in. Yeah. And Absolutely. I think the way the administration put it in be mindful of cultural um, stigmas and stereotypes, I think it leads to productive conversations like this one, and I think going back against that for the residential advisor does not. Right. And so I think we're just promoting 
uh, understanding. They're promoting like comprehension of who people are and where they come from. What about the other side of this who are saying that we are all just being too sensitive? We live in a <laughs> in a time where this generation, because they've been handed out trophies just for participating, are so fragile and so uh, inequipped to handle the realities of life. We need to stop being so politically correct. Can't people just lighten up? What about well, a I mean, response I, for those people? Great response, but as you said, the administration wasn't saying you'll be expelled or suspended. They're just saying be mindful. So if, you, if that's what you want to do, go for it. You have that protection, and it might be funny in your your group or what have you. But I, I think there was no repercussion. You know, they were just simply saying be mindful because a lot of times people do these things, and they go back and they do regret it. And so if you get that instruction and think about it prior to doing it, maybe you'll make a different choice. Well, I mean, in my experience from seeing the people that make those comments, those are comments that come from people who are actually privileged in society or who uh, would fall into the graphs or not the graphs, who would fall into the, the, the group of people who would be considered the oppressor. Um, and so these aren't people who have been hindered or hurt or burdened or discriminated against who are saying that, you know, you're pouting. Shut up. You're being a baby. Big, big boy. Yes, I, that's so true. On a lot of the articles that I read where people were claiming that, I would look and it would be either a man, a white person, or my favorite, a white man speaking <laughs> about, you know, being politically too co- politically correct and too sensitive. I mean, to me, that's like a guy talking about a period. You have never had one, <laughs> never will, don't know what the heck you're talking about, have I'll no experience. That was cramped. But, you know, no big deal. I, you, you, know? you have free speech and you can talk yeah. about it, but your opinion should have no weight and should get no respect because you have no idea what you're talking about. I just want to add to the great irony in comments like that of themselves having the effect of silencing protest and silencing outcry and silencing people's stories and silencing people coming out and and telling very difficult stories to tell. Because when you are discriminated against or when you hear a comment that has racial undertones, sometimes you think you're crazy. Like, am I just imagining that this happened? Or it's 2015. Is it possible that this is happening? And it's very difficult to stand up and say something about it because it's always difficult to stand up and say something about it. So I think when people say things like that, especially when it's not their own lived experience, they are in essence silencing people who's, who are attempting to speak up for themselves. So I just, I just find it greatly hypocritical when people use the First yeah. Amendment to, block, to, to protect some kinds of speech and then forget about it conveniently when other people make speech that they don't agree with. I mean, I guess, yeah. you know, sensitive people have free speech, too. Yeah, sure. And so it, it comes full circle. Okay, moving on to the hero police officer, quote-unquote, killed in the line of duty, and I'm using air quotes here because we have now come to find out that Officer Joe Glinwich uh, actually staged his own suicide. The first question, of course, is why would a man do this? Uh, apparently there were quite a few reasons. Yeah. Shaka, do you yeah, what a want to tell us what a completely bizarre story. So it turns out this guy was embezzling money from um, a fund he was in charge of managing, hundreds of thousands of dollars. For like a kid's for children. Program. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> embezzling money. And then he had also had some investigations regarding um, sexual misconduct. And he even had another employee saying for years she'd been forced to, was coerced into doing sexual acts for him. Um, why this was the exact moment he chose to take his life, you know, I guess the investigation might have been coming to a head. Right. So uh, so apparently this money that he was stealing, laundering, he was using it for some pretty fun things, <laughs> not just for paying his mortgage, but also for looking at adult websites. Um <laughs> 
gym memberships, travel expenses, withdrawing cash, and making loans. And there was somebody who was about to uncover his actions, and he was looking to put out a hit on this person. And uh, this was uh, about to come to light uh, weeks away from his retirement. Mm -hmm. So perhaps he just, like, I'm not going to... He had developed a great reputation in this town, Mm -hmm. and he was like, I'm not going to go out this way. I'm wondering if probably he wanted to preserve some sort of life insurance money for his family as well, you know, not looking like a suicide. Right. Um, But, yeah, at the end it seems like he, when it was not deemed a suicide, that some people came out and said that this was a Black Lives um, Matter issue. And yeah, that, well, before, yeah. When, when we all thought that it was an actual murder. So how it happened is that he apparently, on his way to work, saw some suspicious activity with three gentlemen, one who he called in, radioed in, was black. Yeah. Uh, and one they took of his the, gun and his one of them, spray, yeah, yeah, had taken his his right. gun and pepper spray, and he decided heroically to chase them rather than wait for backup. And the next thing we know, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And so the evidence was strewn such that it looked like somebody else killed him. And so for I think it's been a month now that we have all thought that this was this brave, courageous officer um, who you know, was involved in the lives of the youth and had a great reputation and was weeks away from enjoying his retirement, was just murdered in cold blood. And people that I'm going to call the Black Lives Matter hater group (laughs) used this as an example of the negative effects of the Black Lives Matter movement, saying that it was causing people to hate police officers and then kill them. Mm -hmm. I wonder now what those people... Are going? Are they going to retract their statements? Issue any acknowledgement? Like, hey, I used this. I was suckered into this story. I thought this guy had been murdered, and I wrongly blamed the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, asking for an apology is yeah, probably I mean, too far fetched. I mean, when I read up on this issue, the the word that stroke. I mean, that I saw first was betrayal. That's what these people were feeling. These people who were supporting him and his accolades over the years, they felt betrayal once they found out the true story. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who um, phrase this as uh, or, or want to blame this, the incident, as it was portrayed uh, as a result of the Black Black Lives Matter uh, movement, it's ridiculous. It's preposterous. It, it's the Black Lives Matter movement st- stands for a group of people standing up for, them sta- for themselves. It stands for a group of people saying that, uh, obviously, we know the police are watching us, but we're watching you. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And so it doesn't mean, hey, we're going to kill police officers. It's crazy. The police officers, even if that was a result, they brought that upon themselves by killing in every community in our society today. And that incident that we just talked to in a previous case where we just saw the two officers kill to shoot up and uh, critically wound uh, a father and kill his son is ridiculous and it's a testament to the real reason why if there is an uproar against police officers that's the reason why yeah I want to add so I, I do think that there's validity to the statement that police officers are first responders and you know that they face dangers that a civilian, wouldn't necessarily and I do and I've I've been talking to officers because I just I I know some folks who you know work in that capacity and I don't know if there's been more sort of threats against police officers that have 
arisen not because of the Black Lives Matter movement, but because of all the conversation that's been happening nationally around police brutality and just people being even more pissed off than they were before. Because I think people have been angry at the police, you know, for years, especially in communities that have experienced excessive police violence. So I just, I wanted to put that out there, but I also, I, I think it's ridiculous to, pl- to blame a movement. You know, individuals individuals make the choices that they make. And, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement exists because it's, it's a community coming together across the nation and even the world because, you know, colonial legacy is a, is a global legacy and, and, and just standing up for injustices that have been happening over and over and over and over and over and over again and, and bringing light to those and, and, and taking political action about that. So I don't think that you can blame an individual's action on an entire movement in that way. We don't even know if these people knew about the block. Well, 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 it's moved because it was a suicide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they weren't even, yeah, there there was no one. But I think you have racist and intolerant people in the same way they kind of cultivated Islamophobia um, after Mm -hmm. 9-11, and they tried to tie people that were part of the, um, who were Muslim to extremists. They're doing the same thing now with Black Lives Matter, and it's an easy thing to do, and it's a convenient thing to do, but I think we have to be vigilant and call it out just as we're doing now. Awesome. So in this particular case, uh, you know, there were hours and hours uh, spent on this fake manhunt. Uh, I call it fake. At the time, it was very real. But now we know that there was no man to be hunted or three men to be hunted. Hundreds of officers were involved in this manhunt, which must have used up quite a bit of resources, taxpayer money. So is there any justice that the city can can see taxpayers can get for what this officer did. So one of the faculty members at my law school published this really long article where she did a lot of research about who pays out when a, when a police officer is found to have committed excessive force and the family brings a civil rights case or the individual brings a civil rights case. Who, it is, who is it that pays out, right? Because under the law, it's supposed to be the police officer that pays out money to the victim's family. But pretty much entirely it's the city, right? Cities pay out every time a police officer engages in excessive force and is found to have committed excessive force and there's a civil rights case. It's over and over again, it's the city that's paying out those multi-million dollar verdicts. So New York has paid out tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. LA has paid out hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars in taxpayer dollars for these officers who are committing excessive force crimes. So I seriously doubt um, that the taxpayers are going to get their money back from this manhunt because it's just it's just not what happens. But perhaps justice could look like restructuring the police department to ensure better accountability for officers when they act bad. I mean, this guy right. had done all this, you know, he'd harassed people, he'd done all kinds he'd of crazy things. He'd lied about things like being sick. And these were complaints that were caught. swept under the rug. Right. For years. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, it's gonna, and be he tough. should give the money back, right? Like he All embezzled, the money that was embezzled like, yeah. And they're saying that it's possible his wife and child knew that he was embezzling this money and using it. So, oh, yeah. and um, once once you know of that, uh, that's what's going on, and uh, agree to keep using the money, you're, you're your accomplice, yeah. exactly. All right. So speaking of uh, judgments, uh, let's let's cover a story that I call "What Happens When You Don't Pay Your Judgments." The Lil Wayne story. <laughs> He's had a, a rough couple of weeks. Last week, he was uh, his home in Miami was raided. Why did that happen? Oh well, um, uh, Lil Wayne had a judgment against him for how, how much? 
think it was a million dollars. It started mm-hmm. off as a million, yeah. and then ballooned he didn't pay it. Near two, right? Yes. Right. It ballooned from late fees and all that kind of to 1.8, and then the judge said, oh, yeah, and you got to pay an additional 200000 for attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. So now he's $2 million in the hole uh, for not paying a jet, a private jet company. Yeah, so fortunately, they were able to go to his Miami home, and out of the $28 million and already had, they were able to seize $2 million. So I, I don't know if that's little Wayne's maybe $28 million art judgment collection that he just <laughs> reserved for judgments he hasn't paid. Um I mean, this is ridiculous. Why? I don't. I first wonder, and we're not going to be able to answer. Why didn't he just pay the judgment? And then also, there's different ways of collecting on a judgment. You can garnish somebody's wages. Although I don't know if he really receives like a regular paycheck the way most of us do. Uh, Sometimes you can raid bank accounts, which seems like the safer thing to do because raiding a house, you know. People get scared. They can, you know, right. shoot, think yeah. they're shinking, thinking that they're being uh, like a home invasion robbery or something. That sounds pretty dangerous. And I wonder why uh, a bank account wasn't raided first. Maybe somebody tried that and was not able to. But they went in and they took a bunch of artwork. And Chaka, because you're from the area, you were telling us an interesting law that that Florida has that uh, O.J. Simpson. It, is or was taking advantage of for a while. Yeah, the, the homestead exemption. So you can apply if it's your primary residence in Florida. Um, you can't. They can't touch your house, your 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 dwelling place. And in fact, if you sell that dwelling place and you use the money for another primary dwelling place, they can't touch that money as well. So at least they can't take the house. Where it sounds like he's got plenty of art um, in there to satisfy. And so I did not know this, but you said that that was this one, homestead. Yeah, one of the reasons O.J. Simpson moved to um, after the judgment from with it Nicole Brown Simpson. Right. Um, he moved to Florida to make sure his house and his um, would be protected. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so they get to go in, and now the the judgments for two million. What says that they can't just strip the walls and take everything? Because, I mean, they might not know what's a Picasso and what's a preschooler's painting on the wall. <laughs> Do they just get to take everything in sight? I'm not sure. I, I mean, just thinking about how search warrants work. Um, I mean, I would presume that when a judge grants them the ability to go in, they have to have a list of certain items that are valued or... And there must uh, have been an agreed-upon appraiser. Right. But, uh, he may have actually told them that is where they could take this money from. No, no, no. Because no, why no. did they decide on the $28 I, I million? I think what happened was someone actually, someone recently, uh, like a, a someone that sells homes, a real estate broker yeah. or something, recently yeah. went into the home and they saw these uh, valuable items in the home. Right. A judge had to authorize this because yeah. this judgment has been out for like a year now. And it was only a couple of months ago that the judge finally agreed to allow a rating to occur uh, only after receiving uh, an affidavit from right. a high-end real estate person who had recently been in the house to be able to say that there were, in fact, assets in the house that right. could be seized. Because without that, can't go into the home. Yeah. So apparently the dwelling is, is very well protected by Florida law. <laughs> right. And so uh, it, last week, that's uh, that's what happened. And then this week, just a couple of days ago, yeah. he had another hit. What was yeah. that about? So he had another hit. Uh, it was a, for a suit against Pyrotech Special Effects where uh, for a 2013 concert um, that he had. He ordered a bunch of fireworks, all types of fireworks for the light show and everything like that. Um, he never paid. Um, they eventually sued him. 
And at that time, they actually came to an agreement for uh, a payment that he was going to make. He never made that payment, and so now they had to bring back uh, another suit against him for to recover for that. And, and, and so, you know, he lost that judgment as well. Man, he better get on top of his game. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just going to bleed money. Well, he's got about $25 million in art left, so <laughs> yeah. I think he's good for, I guess for some time. Yeah. He just wants to sit on it as long as he can, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess if, if he earned it, it's his to waste if he wishes to. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode of Justice is Served. I want to thank my co-hosts, BJ, Nisha, and Shaka, for joining me. Please let us know what you think of any of the stories that we covered today. You can tweet me, at Chelsea Galicia. Just B.J. Abron. At Nisha Vida. And at Shaka Strong. And join us next week for another episode of Justice is Served. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.